Welcome to White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. A behind-the-scenes look at the White Sox as they prepare for the 2021 baseball season. Brought to you by Wintrust Bank, Mazda of Orland Park on ESPN 1000. Chicago's new home of the White Sox. Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight, and you know what we're talking about this morning. Big headline all throughout baseball. A big piece of news for the White Sox happened on Thursday, and unfortunately, it's not a good one. If you're listening to the show, you know Aloy Jimenez ruptured a pectoral muscle and will miss five to six months of the 2021 season. Been talking about it for a while. It's filled up the airwaves uh, here on ESPN 1000 and really airwaves anywhere where uh, they're talking about baseball. I understand it. Uh, we're going to play a lot of sound from Rick Hahn and Tony La Russa today. Um, there are other headlines with the White Sox, too. I had really hoped, shoot, all week long, I really hoped, okay, Saturday's White Sox Weekly is going to be the Carlos Rodon wins the final spot in the White Sox rotation, the Oscar Colas signing internationally, a two-way player who could be fun and we talk about as a prospect and all that stuff. And unfortunately, injuries happen in this game, and the one that Aloy suffered just the other day is going to keep him out for quite some time. Uh, in case you are just catching up, on where the White Sox are, where Eloy Jimenez is, and what the options are for the White Sox as they break camp here in just a couple of days. Here's the latest. Jimenez may play in 2021. The likely recovery times for this is five to six months. Rickon spoke on Thursday afternoon just before the game. I apologize. The injury happened on Wednesday, and then the uh, press conference was on Thursday spoke Rickon spoke and said listen here's where we're at here's what it looks like and here's what we're facing here's Rickon Eloy Jimenez has suffered a rupture of his left pectoral tendon uh, this is a injury that needs to be surgically repaired traditionally the recovery period for such an injury is five to six months uh, that does obviously vary by individual, and we'll have more information in terms of a more specific timeline once the rehabilitation begins some point in the next 8 to 12 weeks. Um, obviously, a, a difficult loss for us, uh, important part of our offense, and uh, one that you know was a, it's a bit of a shock to the system. Uh, at the same time, uh, if there was one area of this team uh, that perhaps could withstand a, a significant blow. It would arguably be on the offensive side of things and the run scoring side of things. And we obviously move forward with every confidence in this team's offense going forward and look forward to Eloy potentially rejoining us at some later date this season. Uh, in the meantime, uh, we will only comment about our current internal options. Uh, that said, obviously, we will continue to have conversations uh, with those outside the organization about potential additions, but as you can understand, not going to get any specifics on that. 
So there's Han kind of outlaying the options and the situation for Jimenez. Uh, it's going to be surgery, then rest, then rehab in about two months from now. Uh, and, and like he mentioned, there is a possibility that Aloy Jimenez returns to the White Sox lineup and hits home runs and matters a whole heck of a lot. Uh, that likelihood isn't something anyone's anyone has the ability to speculate on, right? The surgery has to happen first. The rehab has to happen after that. And then you've got to see how things feel and, and make sure everything went right. Aloy Jimenez, according to the Zips projection system, it's one I like. There's a handful of them, and I, I like most of them, but this is the Fangraphs version of Zips. Jimenez was projected for a 285 average, a 328 on base percentage, and a 543 slugging percentage. He was projected for 34 home runs and 106 runs driven in. That's a big chunk of the offense. I mean, if you look up and down this White Sox offense, I think Rick Hahn is right that it itself, the lineup itself, can withstand a hit and still be an effective one, still be one that can contend for an AL Central. But losing that kind of number from the middle of your lineup, from that real dangerous part of your lineup, is difficult to to circumvent. It just is. And I'll say this, too. I I know White Sox fans have had the conversation for a good long time online, offline, in bars and out of them when we're alone in our homes and zooming to everybody. Is Aloy a left fielder? Should he be in left field? Listen, there are a lot of ball clubs over the last, oh, I don't know, 150 years of baseball that have run out left fielders that aren't very good at playing defense but are very good at hitting the ball a long way. That's a recipe for winning. You can do that in big league baseball. You can throw a left fielder out there that's not all that great at playing left field. And even so, even though the, you know, the numbers for Aloy and the mishaps for Aloy are all on record, I'm not going to, you know, there's no sense in pulling any wool over anybody's eyes. I mean, we, we all see, we've all seen what Aloy has kind of run into in that outfield, whether it be teammate or net or wall, that happens. He's a guy who's not been able yet to shift into a more, I guess, protective gear is probably a good way of saying it. But that's not to say that the athleticism within that kid isn't enough to play left field, especially considering the way he hits. It's a decision-making process, at least in my, my opinion. It's a decision-making process that needs to be ironed out for Aloy Jimenez and for the White Sox. And I would not be surprised we're a long way away from having the discussion. I would not be surprised if he still has more left field to play for the White Sox in 2022 or 23 or 24 or what have you. Just because you, you need to get the most out of a young player as you can on that defensive spectrum. The more positions you can play, we're seeing this more than ever in Major League Baseball, the more positions you can play, the more valuable you are to a team. I suppose it's probably always been like that, but even more so now with the kinds of money that you're paying players, with the cap being what it is, all that kind of stuff. A little more from Rick Hahn. He mentioned that we're, they won't be discussing the external options, you know, trade potentials. And why would you? I, there's a handful of reasons for that. One, he's not allowed. <laughs> Second, I don't know a lot of teams who make deals five, six, seven days before spring training ends. Most teams at this point, most, are happy with where they're at. They want to see what they've got. If you are a team that's looking to sell, the Pirates, for instance, or, you know, whatever. If you are a team that's looking to sell the Orioles or something like that, 
you would even still at this point go, okay, we'll start the season, play a little bit of baseball, and maybe our guy that we're looking to deal plays a little bit better and that increases his trade value. So I would imagine it's going to be tough for the White Sox to make a deal. Not impossible, but tough. There are some free agent options, though there are reasons that those players don't have jobs yet. We'll go through some of those names when we come back from the break. I want to take a phone call or two. Uh, 312-332-3776. That's the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. You want to call, you want to talk about Aloy, you want to talk about Carlos Rodon, you want to talk about Oscar Colas, we're here for you. Although I understand that Aloy is the headline story of the day. You can watch us on Twitch. It's twitch.tv. Just search ESPN Chicago. You can call like Gideon did in Evanston. Gideon, what's on your mind, man? Connor, it's sickening to to hear about Eloy's injury and to have seen it um, during the broadcast. Like it's it's just terrible. But that being said, in 2016, the Cubs lost their starting left fielder, and he came back and had a miraculous World Series for them. I'm hoping that Eloy will be able to come back even sooner. Five months from now is roughly August, September. Yeah. So he might be able to have two months of a productive season going into a a playoff run and a World Series run and be able to be really productive for our team. That's obviously the optimal hope. It's just a sickening thing feeling right now with Eloy being down and knowing how young he is and how much potential he has and that he's not going to be here for the majority of the season. Yeah, man, I hear. I appreciate the phone call. Uh, sickening is a, is a good way of putting it. I, I understand it. White Sox fans, shoot, everybody around baseball has a lot of hope tied up in this team because of its potential, because of its youth, because of the clear next steps that most of the players were, were ready to take in a full season of 2021. You know, whether that be Moncada or Robert or whatever, uh, there's a handful of guys, and Eloy Jimenez was one of those dudes, too. To back out to the lines, Mike, also in Evanston. What's up, Mike? Yeah, hey, how you doing? Um, you know, I I feel terrible. Obviously a great kid. Uh, was never going to be a good left fielder. I mean, I'm not even sure he could have even gotten to be a Schwarber in left field. He could have. Uh, maybe. No, I'm, I'm uh, telling you. Uh, maybe. Um, I think Schwarber seems more athletic out there than Jimenez. Just seems so clumsy. Decision-making was terrible. I think this was just inevitable that he was going to do this or hurt him and Robert. Um, and I kind of think that Han and Larusa bear some of the blame for, if nothing else, telling him every time that he went out to left field, to catch the balls that are in front of them. And I just don't know. Maybe the juices kick in and you can't tell them that. I don't know. But uh, you know what? We needed his bat. We didn't need him in left field. And if you're trying to win and you're serious about winning, then you make the tough decisions. And it's tough to take a nice kid who is so young and make him a DH. I get it. But, again, if you're trying to win, you got to make tough decisions. And... That was his position, is DH. Well, Mike, I appreciate it, man. man. I've watched him out there and uh, diving into nets. I mean, just crazy stuff. Sure. I get you. You're not the only person that saw that happen, right? I mean, we've all seen it. We all understand that Aloy's ability to play left field safely was at times tenuous. But I would disagree. If you're trying to win, 
then there are some chances that you have to take. And if one of them is putting a guy out there in a relatively safe left field position with a stellar center fielder next to him, I I think you can talk yourself into the chance that is. The, the, the kind of risk-reward scenario you're having there. Because what that allows you to do is rotate Yasmani Grandal and Jose Abreu through the DH spot a little bit. you got this kid in Andrew Vaughn who we're going to talk about when we come back. He's having played left field yesterday against the Brewers. You have this kid, Andrew Vaughn, who clearly the organization is sold. It's probably an understatement. Sold on. It's likely he's going to start the year on the opening day roster in the big leagues, having not played anything above a ball. That's an incredible vote of confidence for a young player like that, drafted just two years ago and then had a 2020 completely wrecked by COVID like we all did. But that's it's different for him because he hasn't seen some of that advanced pitching. The risk to go win was taking a bit of a chance and putting Aloy in left field, knowing that there's potential there. It's, it's way safer to go play DH, lock up the rest of that roster, and perhaps push somebody down to the minor leagues that could help you right now if that's where you truly believe in Andrew Vaughn. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. Got to take a break. A little more from Rick Hahn, a little more from Tony LaRusso. When we come back, a lot more from you. This is White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. If you miss something, podcasts are available on the new ESPN Chicago app. White Sox Weekly, ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. Ball, but I got to protect against the fastball. High fly, deep left field, back on it is Calhoun. Gone! That is a three-run homer. Andrew Vaughn. You know the voice. That's Len Casper calling White Sox action here on ESPN 1000. Andrew Vaughn providing the action. We've got the game tomorrow for you, 3 o'clock, White Sox and Rockies. It'll actually be Len Casper and myself on the call. We're going to hang out at Guaranteed Rate Field. We are going to broadcast. The game is in Arizona, of course. We are going to be at Guaranteed Rate Field, and Len and I will be doing the game. He'll do some play-by-play. I'll do some play-by-play. We're going to talk to a couple of players throughout the game, be some fun you know, interaction in our final game of spring training. It's it's crazy. We're, uh, opening day's right around the corner. Still excited for it. Obviously, the big news to the White Sox, unfortunately, is the setback with Aloy Jimenez, the injury to Aloy Jimenez. I I shouldn't sugarcoat it, I suppose. Five to six months is how long he's going to be out. You heard Andrew Vaughn going yard there. I mentioned, what was it, Tyler? Last week, week before, we were talking about our most surprising players in spring, and for for me, it's been Andrew Vaughn. Yep, I think we were in agreement with that. I mean, my God, he's just been... Zach Collins has made a run for that money. Fantastic. He's made a run for that money, and you know, I... I've said this before, I don't put a whole lot into results in spring training. Some things I do look at for pitchers, it's like, you know, don't walk a lot of guys and have your velocity where you're supposed to be, that kind of thing. And for hitters, it's walk more than you strike out. You know, provide me evidence that you, that plate discipline, that understanding what you can and can't hit is there. Collins has walked twice as much as he struck out. And if it's not exactly twice, one of those strikeouts was nonsense because that ball's outside and that's it's just not a I, – I should let that go. Uh, but Andrew Vaughn has, has shown out really well too. Had a couple of balls hit to him yesterday in left field. And indeed, Andrew Vaughn is an option for the White Sox in left field. It's crazy to think that a couple of weeks ago there were honest questions, good questions, about whether or not the White Sox would start the year with Andrew Vaughn on the, on the roster. 
whether or not he'd have to spend some time at the alternate site. Well, I guess at that point it was AAA, and then the alternate site came into play a few weeks after. But whether he'd have to spend some time at the alternate site. Rick Hahn spoke a bit about some of the other internal options available to the White Sox, including Andrew Vaughn. Based on the guys in camp right now, obviously Leury has experience in the outfield. Uh, we expect Adam Engel to be able to be activated at some point during the month of April and would be a consideration at that spot. Uh, Nick Williams and Billy Hamilton, obviously, have both been with us, uh, Nick, for the entirety of camp and, and Billy for the last few weeks, uh, each of whom uh, bring different skills to that role and potentially could fit on the on the roster. We have, you know, not to by any means bury the lead, we've had, had some conversations about the potential Andrew Vaughn playing some left field as well. Uh, as those of you who have followed the club closely know, he did get some experience doing that in Schaumburg last year during the the alt site process uh he has been having a little experience uh on the backfields or getting a little experience on the backfields in in some early work and some drills and it's it's a possibility it's not one that i would necessarily uh etch in stone but when talking about the internal options uh you know his name potentially belongs on that list as well uh, he has been out in left field, has Vaughn. it sounded like tony larusa was going to work him into left field as often as possible um, I, it, it was kind of difficult to tell, and, and Tony kind of sidestepped the question, and, and I understand it, right? It's the top prospect in the system playing a position that's a little bit outside of his you know, realm on the defensive spectrum. It, it, he doesn't have to tell you exactly how often Andrew Vaughn is going to play left field, but it sounds like he's going to get some work in left field. If he's not getting stuff on the backfields, it'll, def- it'll be in games as well. I do want to mention, too, for me... Looking at this White Sox squad, and I was talking to Len about it the other day, it is still a deep team that can do damage. What's also interesting to me is while the Twins, and we're going to talk about the Twins in a bit with Corey Provis. He does the radio broadcast. We're wrapping up the AL Central preview series that we do here on White Sox Weekly. We're going to look into the Twins some with Corey. The AL Central has a blueprint blueprint out there already for how to win a division without scoring runs or too many runs and it's the cleveland indians they've pitched really well for years and not had all the great i mean granted this is the 2016 world series team that was darn good offense but they've done it without scoring a whole plethora of runs the white Sox are so deep in the bullpen liam Hendricks has passed the kidney stones apparently it was immensely painful i think they always are that's what i'm told uh, liam Hendricks is pitching yesterday some and the velos down a little bit but that was a really ugh, gruesome thing he had to go through the rest of the bullpen fills out it has stayed healthy through spring that is meaningful the fact that carlos rodon has won the the final spot in the rotation and done it the way he has by commanding the fastball and looking really good matters because now if the name of the game isn't necessarily hit the cover off the baseball and outscore everybody you're looking at it's out pitch everybody It's lean on that run prevention, both from a pitching standpoint and a defensive standpoint. You know, pick it up, throw it over to first base. Go get what you can in your range. That's why Adam Engel getting healthy at some point in April is crucial as well. Engel was having a terrific spring and had a really nice 2020. You know, all the COVID caveats go with that, but a really good offensive season from Adam Engel. They'll need that kind of depth. I'll be real interested to see just how much the White Sox are in the rumor mill 
early on in this season. They've got a team that can win a World Series. They've got a team that can take this AL Central from a from a dangerous Twins team, I think. They may need some help to do it, and they may have to snap early at that opportunity. They do have a farm system to make those moves. That will be a very interesting dynamic, one that we didn't necessarily expect. We're wrapping up the AL Central preview series here on White Sox Weekly. On the other side of a quick break, Corey Provis, play-by-play man for the Twins. We'll talk about that whole team up north that could be trouble. This is White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's home for sports. The new home of the White Sox. ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. The tour around the AL Central culminates today, and it finishes exactly where it should with those Minnesota Twins who are very, very good at playing baseball. They have a very, very good broadcaster on the radio side as well. Corey Provis is our guest to preview those Minnesota Twins. Hi, Corey. How are you? Connor, uh, great to catch up, and congrats on the gig. Excited uh, for you guys at ESPN 1000 with, with, with the White Sox and, and that Len Casper guy's all right, uh, so it's going to be a great year for you. Yeah, he knows what he's doing, knows his way around a he's microphone right. in a right. baseball he's game. Fine. He's fine. Let's he's not fine. talk about him, though. He's got plenty of time. <laughs> Let's, Corey, I, I want to start where each and every preview of the Minnesota Twins should start over the last couple of years. What does Nelson Cruz know about being ageless that the rest of us should know? I, what mystery of life does he hold? He is a big proponent of the nap. He is a nap guy, so much so that when the Twins signed him uh, in 2019, that they built kind of a nap room at Target Field. Now, there's like a, there's like a bunk bed, and there's like a queen, I think, size bed in this room, so guys can take naps, and... You know, Nelson Cruz was kind of driving that idea. So he's a, he's a big believer in that. And, you know, he's somebody that just has this routine that is hard to replicate uh, with, with what he eats, when he eats, when he sleeps, uh, what he does with his workouts. And it's not just weights, it's resistance bands, there's plyometrics involved. He's got a rigorous, you know, tea routine he does, uh, you know, before the game, and then maybe we'll do it during the game. And he sticks to that and does it each and every day. He really is a creature of habit. Uh, so I, I think for him, as he's gotten up there, he'll turn 41 on July 1st, Connor. But he just goes back to his routine because it's gotten him this far. I am also a creature of habit. It's just donuts is my habit, and that's not okay. a that's not Well, a you thing. may not have the, the same kind of career that Nelson Cruz has, at least in terms of on-field productivity. Yeah. It's not to say you won't be successful, but you just might not mirror one another. What is, what's fair to expect, or, or I guess a better way to put it is, what were conversations like between Nelson Cruz and the Twins during this offseason? How much did the ambiguity of whether we'd have a DH in the National League really play into things? Well, the Twins approached him first in November. I mean, the first, I think, two targets they went after to sign uh, were, were Charlie Morton, didn't get him, he went to Atlanta. And then around that time, they, they went after Nelson Cruz to just to, to try to bring him back. I don't know what the terms were that they offered him, Connor, but I think that Nelson and his agent, they played it that, you know, the DH, it may be universal once again. And with that, he might gain some leverage out of that. So 
you know, I think that was a, that was a good idea on his part to see all of a sudden there might be, you know, 15 more teams that, that might want him and try to sign him. So he wanted to see if that was going to indeed happen. Uh, but, you know, in my gut all along, I think we all felt uh, those that, that, that followed the Twins and then root for the Twins that he was going to end up back in Minneapolis. Now, I will say this. As we watched 2020 play out during the season, and I saw that Edwin Encarnacion was struggling with the White Sox, there was a part of me that, that kept thinking that, boy, Nelson Cruz would fit in this lineup. I mean, if he doesn't go back to the Twins, that there would be, I think, a really good add to that potent lineup and a guy that has just crushed White Sox pitching as a twin the last couple of years, that I thought that there would be a fit there, uh, to have Nelson around that, that young team, exciting team. So there was a part of me that thought that that would be a fit, but in the end, I'm, I'm glad he's back uh, in the Twin Cities. Talking about the Twins with Corey Provis here on White Sox Weekly, a bit of an AL Central preview. Not many teams, Corey, remake their infield defense, specifically the left side, the way the Twins have over the last two, two and a half years and keep the guys that were there. It's crazy to think about how teams could probably just hit a ball hard to the left side of the infield and, and maybe make their way on base. And now, with Josh Donaldson and Andrelton Simmons at third and short, you cannot play that strategy against the Twins anymore. It's incredible. It, it's a great lineup on paper. It's a great defense on paper. They, they just got to stay healthy. And Simmons had an ankle injury last year, I think multiple ankle injuries last year. So he didn't play a full season. And Josh Donaldson, I think it's fair, Connor, to say he's got just chronic you know, calf problems. I don't think it's just a, a fluke thing. These are things that have really popped up. And uh, it popped up again last year. And he only played you know, half the season, was not even available for the playoffs, as brief as it was. So it sounds great. They, they just got to stay healthy. Now, the Twins still, you know, in, in a traditional sense, you would think that that's going to line up great. But they still shift. Uh, among the higher teams in baseball in terms of shift percentage, they're right there. So it's not just because they have these great defensive players doesn't mean they're going to abandon what they do and how they do it and what the data says, how they should play it. So if this, if this was 20 years ago, you'd think, boy, you know, they're going to get to every ball, but you know they're going to get beat. You know, It's that whole idea of loss aversion, right? That you, just, you remember the ones that, 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 that you lose on as opposed to the ones that you gain. And I think even with the, 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 you know, the, the pedigree of the Donaldsons and the Simmons, how good they are defensively, they're not going to change their plan. So expect the Twins still to shift on the heavier side. So Luis Arias is obviously going to be a part of the Twins' plans. I, I don't mean in just in terms of uh, uh, backing up either one or, or all of those infielders in case of injury. How does he work into the lineup if everyone does stay healthy what does it look like if you do get an injury here or there he seems he seems pretty multifaceted he's a guy that could be in left field on opening day um you know when when camp started Rocco Baldelli you know said that he was going to focus on second and third and he did but then as as camp went along here he got a few more reps out in the outfield Uh, I'm not saying he's going to win a gold glove anytime soon he's got a strong arm I don't think anybody's concerned about that We'll see about his range and his route running and all that stuff. But I wouldn't be shocked on Thursday in Milwaukee if he if he's out there in left field. And I think that avenue opened up even more with, to me, the surprise that Alex Kirilov did not make the team. I thought going into camp, uh, Connor, that, that Kirilov was going to be on the team. He was going to probably be in left field on opening day. I thought the Twins would carry 14 pitchers. It looks like now they're going to carry 13. 
and Kirilov's going to begin at the alternate side. So I'm in regular season form. I'm red hot here at the start of the season. But in terms of a rise, you know, I, I think left field is certainly going to be in play. You know, Polanco moving over to second base, and they're not going to play Donaldson every day. I think early on, I won't be shocked if he, you know, plays two, sits one, and that would open up a chance for, for a rise to get a start at third base as well. I want to get to Kirilov in a second because, like you, I was very surprised the Twins sent him down. But Luis Arias and that skill set deserves, I think, a little bit more conversation. Where Where do you think his best position is defensively? And what other players have that kind of contact skill that Arias has? Does he Does he comp to anybody in your broadcast career? He just seems so exemplary at putting the ball in play and reaching safely. Yeah, I mean, he just, he has that skill just to do that. And, you know, the, the comp that we get around here, just in terms of his ability to do that, um, you know, Rod Peru kind of has you know, there's a similar stance to it. You know, he doesn't get as low as Rod did. And, and you know, but there's some power, not a ton of power, but some power. But he just, he has some poise about him that, that makes him just a great offset to what the, the strength of this lineup is, and that is power. And which is why you could see Max Kepler's at a poor spring. I mean, Kepler, I think he's got two hits. I think he's like two for 36 mm. uh, in camp down here. And while Kepler enjoys the leadoff spot, Connor, you know, Luis Arise maybe has more of that traditional, you know, leadoff, you know, persona and leadoff resume. And I, I, I'm not, and I'm all for the new school. I love, you know, central metrics and I love looking at the game analytically. But this may be a time where Rocco, who spends a ton of time on lineups, that's where he focuses his attention on, his lineup construction. Like I said, a rise, it wouldn't shock me if he's in left field on opening day. And it wouldn't shock me to see a rise hitting leadoff on opening day without the DH, of course, playing in Milwaukee. means no Nelson Cruz. So maybe Kepler drops down into more of a power-producing spot, at least for that first series. So you mentioned Alex Kirilov, and you know by by many many ranking sites, he's the Twins' top prospect, at least on the offensive side. I thought for sure he'd have a chance to make the squad opening day. Will he push then? How how do the Twins expect the alternate site to work for Kirilov? And why? You know what I mean? Like. It, Live action in AAA isn't available to the Twins in that first month. It really seemed to me that pushing him into the majors to see that live action might have been a more a more acceptable plan than other seasons, given where we have to be because of COVID. I mean, you can look at it two ways. Did he play himself off the team statistically? You can make that argument. Are there service time you know, questions about it? I think that's fair to also bring up. Uh, because if he's down for three weeks, then he gets an extra year of, of team control. The team gets an extra year of, team, of control with Kirloff, which is not insignificant. He's represented by Scott Boris, so keep that in mind as we kind of move along and watching his career. You know, Alex Kirloff is going to be an impactful player on this team. I think he's going to be in the running for the rookie of the year when it's all said and done. Um, but I, I just think he, he played himself off the team. I just think he just did not have a good camp. Uh, I think the strikeout number was, was rather high. He's going to play a great first base, too. And I think that's where he fits long-term. I think the outfield is kind of a stopgap now until they reset some things. But I think that Alex Kirilov is going to be the Minnesota Twins' first baseman for a long, long time to come. But Sano but is out there now. Sano's going to play some third this year, too, which is different. Didn't play any third last year. Uh, but I think that plan was more likely with Kirilov on the team, because now you're looking at everybody's favorite La Tortuga. Uh, Williams asked to deal as your backup first baseman, uh, which which I didn't see coming into camp. 
But with Kirilov, they just want him to reset, and, and you're right that he's not going to have competitive games to play in. They're trying to work out at the ultimate site, which I think opens up April 2nd after everybody passes their intake testing. They're trying to work out playing some games against Milwaukee's alternate site, even the Cubs' alternate site. We'll see how many they can get in. But uh, I think Kirilov is going to be up at some point, he's, and when he's up, he's going to be here to stay, and he's going to be a very important player on this team. Corey, finish the sentence. If Byron Buxton plays 145 games in 2021, then? He's, he's, he's an MVP candidate. And to me, he's an MVP candidate if he plays that many games. I mean, if you look at in terms of wins above replacement just last year, and he didn't play a full season, he was their best player. He was over a two-war player last year, and that just tells you how good he is. He doesn't walk. I mean, that's the thing about the guy with his freak speed, his incredible athleticism. His on-base percentage is low. He's a power hitter. I mean, this guy likes to swing the bat and puts up an OPS over 800. That's who he believes he is. He's, you know, he doesn't, he's not great at bunting. He'll try it every now and then. But that's not something that he really is good at doing or does often. But he's just he's such a, a special player. And I think what we're all starving for in this game as, as a fan is to sit back, and I don't want to take my eyes off the field. You know, I'll wait to go to the concession stand. I'll wait to go to the bathroom because I feel like I might miss something that I would not otherwise see. He brings that. I mean, he just brings something that you just don't see. And I think comparable with Luis Roberts. I mean, you see the defense. You see the speed. You see the power. You know, it's hard to have all that in one body, and Byron Buxton encompasses that. So to me, to answer your question, if he plays 145 games, I think he's an MVP candidate. Yeah, I, I think you're right, too. Who does this White Sox, rather, who does this Twins front office expect to make the next steps in the starting rotation? Also, is there anyone you'd rather have a sandwich and a beer with than Randy Dobnak? Well, he's the answer to your question. Because Randy Dobnak has had an amazing spring. I mean, Randy Dobnak last year, he was, you know, he was he and Kenta Maeda for real struggled early last year. But it was it was Maeda and it was Dobnak that really got the rotation going early, early last season. But with Dobnak, what he kept going back to was how's he doing it? He's got this low ERA without striking anybody out. And it's hard to sustain that. You can keep a one point something ERA if you're striking out nine, ten, eleven batters per nine. He was striking out maybe four or five batters per nine. I mean, it just told you that eventually this was not going to work. And with that, you know, his, his struggles were, were visible, and he eventually got option, he got optioned out in, uh, in September. He lost his spot in the rotation the way that he was pitching. So Dobnak is the guy that the throws are one seam sinker, but he said, all right, how can, I, how can I miss that? So now he's got this revamped slider, and he has been incredible. He's got, I think, 18 strikeouts and 13 innings down here. And Dobnak has made maybe four or five starts down here, and all of his starts have come on the road. And what you have to remember about that is is that down here in Florida, the teams are more spread out. Normally the star players, they don't travel. So he's been facing these A lineups. He's been facing the Braves lineup. He's been facing the Rays lineup a lot. Uh, the Red Sox, their pitching isn't great, but still their lineup is pretty darn good. And he's had some really good outings against those, those, those better lineups. So to me, Randy Dobnak is the guy that all of a sudden, if he can just, I'm not saying he's going to strike out 10 guys a game, 10 guys per nine innings, but if he can up that to eight, then all of a sudden you've got something to play with there that, that hitters can now and have to think about that slider. It's a, it's a new grip he's been working on. 
and he's been he's been awesome down here. That's some killer insight, man. It feels like Randy Dobnak's a guy you want to draft in a fantasy league if you've got a draft on Tuesday night. He was Whenever driving. He was driving an Uber in February and March around spring training to make some extra money, and then he starts Game Two of the playoff series at Yankee Stadium that same year. It's I mean, that just tells you how far that guy's climbed, and now they love him. He's going to start the season on the bullpen. Uh, you know, because the Twins signed Matt Shoemaker and Jay Happ. Michael Pineda is going to be the number three. But Happ got a little bit delayed because he had COVID early in camp. He's only made three outings. So my read on that is, um, you know, the fifth game of the season, the Twins, after they open up in Milwaukee, then go to Detroit. I think they're going to piggyback Happ and Dobnak a little bit. Maybe Happ goes four and then Dobnak goes three or four. I think that's how it's going to look the first uh, look the first turn or two to the rotation. Corey, we're wrapping up the AL Central preview series with the same question to everybody. It is White Sox Weekly, after all. From your perspective, your broadcast seat, how do the White Sox look to you for 2021? They look like a like a World Series contender. I mean, they look like an awesome team. It, it sucks, you know. I like seeing the best players play. I mean, I don't look at it from a competitive standpoint that, oh, boy, this is a break that, you know, with Jimenez being out. To me, I want to see that man play. I want to see him hit. Yes, I don't want to see him hit, you know, 30 home runs against the Twins, but I think it's bad for the game when you can't see this young, exciting talent. Tim Anderson's become one of my favorite players in the game. I love everything about the guy. I like how he plays. I like his passion. I like what he says. Uh, I, I just hope that he's able to do that, and I think that's what we all were wondering when, when Tony Russo got hired. It, it surprised me, and I'm sure it surprised many. Will, 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 will Tim Anderson still be able to be who he is? And, and then we're going to find out. And I think that's, that's something that is a storyline that we're going to watch uh, play out throughout the season. But I think they're a great team. I mean, I've, I've seen Liam Hendricks. I saw Liam Hendricks when he was a minor leaguer with the Twins. It was the Twins minor league pitcher of the year in 2011. And I was out on a Twins program with him and, and, and Brian Dozier. And here's Liam Hendricks, the guy that took forever to pick up his first win, that just has found something. And to his credit, a lot of work. And he's become a dominant, dominant bullpen arm. You know, Lance Ball was not my favorite guy. Uh, he was not uh, my favorite guy to watch pitch and then be a twin that one season. Uh, but you know, he's to his credit, that guy's a that guy's a horse. But I think the lineup's great. I think the White Sox and Twins, those nineteen meetings, are going to be fantastic to watch. And I'm looking forward to it uh, when that gets going. Now we are too, Corey. Thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it. We will see you soon. All right, Connor. Take care. That's Corey Provis, the play-by-play man for Twins Radio. We'll be back with more on White Sox Weekly. This is ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. If you miss something, podcasts are available on the new ESPN Chicago app. White Sox Weekly, ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Wrapping it up here on White Sox Weekly. This is ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. Andrew Vaughn played left field yesterday in the absence of Eloy Jimenez. Vaughn spoke to reporters afterward, and I wanted to bring it to you this morning. Uh, you know, just I was trying to make myself comfortable. I'm out there just knowing that I had a gold glover to my left, Luis Roberts. So if the ball gets hit out there to my left, I kind of know he's got it, so I know i got to cover the line and just catch it. That was, uh, that was the main goal, just catch it if it's in the air and Throw it to the right base if it's on the ground. Did you have any other, like, cues or keys going out there, or was it just keeping it real basic for the first game? Yeah, just keep it basic, keep it simple, and just be ready for every pitch. Um, just kick your best jump you can and go for the ball. 
Andrew, Tony was saying that, you know, as an infielder, you're already kind of focused on quick jumps on the ball. Is that transferable to to working in the outfield at all? Yeah, I would say like in the infield, you got to be ready for every pitch and there might be a rocket hit at you. So I think moving to the outfield, you have that instinct to be ready for every single pitch. And I think I think it's beneficial. Andrew, a lot, a lot of people have, you know, praised your, your calm demeanor at the plate, the way you kind of approach things when you're hitting. Does that kind of apply to the way you're approaching playing the outfield too? Yeah, you got to be comfortable being uncomfortable. I mean, I haven't played too much outfield in my whole life. So just going out there and learning the ropes and just doing my best and taking it one day at a time. Uh, to Andrew Vaughn of the White Sox. I don't even know what position to call him at this point. Uh, lineups are not out yet for the White Sox this afternoon. They do play the Rockies. Uh, we'll let you know. At ESPN White Sox is the Twitter handle to follow there. White Sox Weekly is moving. During the offseason, we're 9 to 10 on Saturdays. And we love it. But during the season, we go to two hours leading up to the pregame show every Saturday. So next Saturday, 5 to 7 p.m., leading up into the pregame show. Some news from baseball. This is some unfortunate news. Tom Karen, who reports on the Red Sox, writes that Matt Barnes tested positive for COVID-19. Matt Andrees was scratched due to possible exposure. Definitely something to look out for. We had gone a long way in spring training before anything ugly like that popped up. But it's news and I thought we'd let you know. Well, the broadcast tomorrow, Len and I, we're going to be at Guaranteed Rate Field. We're going to both uh, kick it around for some play-by-play. Make sure you join us here on ESPN 1000 for that. And you can listen to White Sox games if you're in the Chicago area on the ESPN Chicago app. We're going to broadcast them through the internets because we hear that that piece of technology isn't going anywhere. The Hockey Show is next. Pat Boyle and Brian Hanley are coming up. Kirby Doc could be coming back. Thanks for listening to White Sox Weekly. We'll catch you next week, 5 to 7 p.m. on these very airwaves.